You can have a seat. Thanks. Can we uh, pop those lights back on? My name is Bobby. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Northwest. I want to thank you for worshiping with us this Sunday. And occasionally, as we are going to do here in a minute, we have the privilege of uh, welcoming new members into our community of faith here at Soma Northwest. So we have this wonderful couple here. Abby, why don't you come up? We'll let them introduce themselves in a second. But I just want to frame this up really quick before we get into um, uh, the, the vows and the, the affirmations here. When we talk about membership at Soma Northwest, we talk about it in a way that... Uh, is maybe a little bit different than some of you have grown up thinking about membership. And I don't want to get into all of the different ways that different churches talk about membership. All I want to say is when we talk about being a member of Soma Northwest, being a member of this community of faith, what we are saying is that as individuals, as families, as, as folks who are a part of this family, we are committing to being a life-giving presence here in this community, that we are committed to loving one another, that we are committed to serving one another, that we are committed to laying down our own personal preferences for the good of each other. And in turn, as a, as a church community, when folks stand up here, we as a church community are committing to them as well. As a community, we are saying that we will love them, that we will care for them, that if they go off the rails, we will go after them lovingly and gently to pursue them and to bring them back into fellowship with the Lord and with people here, that we aren't going anywhere in each other's lives. And so as we uh, uh, talk about membership here with these three folks that's what we're talking about. That's the spirit in which we're doing it. We, they are making a commitment to this body of believers, and in turn, we are making a commitment back to them. So what I'd love for you to do is introduce yourself, tell us uh, where you live in the city, and tell us what missional community group you are a part of. I'm Harry Howe. This is my wife, Grace, and we are part of Dunleavy's missional community. Yeah, so we're with the Dunleavy's uh, missional community, and uh, we had the privilege of being here for the kickoff meeting uh, back last September and have been coming regularly since then, and uh, we counted a privilege to be here. And go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so we live over uh, near the Traders Point Shopping Center, Eagle Creek, Park area of uh, Pike Township. My name is Abby Guntel, and I am part of the Hughes MC. Love them. And I am moving from the Butler area yesterday and today to right on the corner of 96 in town. So, love them being so close. <laughs> Well, thanks. Well, we uh, are so glad that you have been a part of our family and have been not only just coming and, and taking and being a part, which we want, but you've also uh, really brought your gifts and, and your uh, abilities and an attitude of service uh, and hospitality to this body. And so we're excited that you're taking the next step 
um, and to stand up here and, and uh, become members of Soma Northwest. So these will be on the screen, but we are going to ask you to uh, affirm each one of these things. So as I read it, uh, we'll pause and you can say, uh, we do. Do you acknowledge yourself to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope except for his sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your abilities? And finally, do you submit yourself to the government and the discipline of the church and promise to pursue its purity and peace? If you are a member of SOMA, would you raise your hand towards these folks and let's pray over them, ask God's blessing as they take this step of faith and of commitment to say we are committing to this body of believers. Jesus, we do thank you that you have not left us alone in this world. We thank you that you have given us your spirit to be with us, to be in us, to guide us. And we thank you that you have given us friends and neighbors, people who come alongside of us to encourage us, to spur us on toward love and good deeds. We thank you that we as a community of faith can come around each other that we can commit to each other, that we can challenge each other when necessary, that we encourage each other when necessary, that we comfort each other when necessary. I thank you for Harry and for Grace and for Abby, and thank you for what they already mean to our community, what they already mean to us as friends and fellow followers of Jesus. And I pray on behalf of our church that we would be a life-giving fellowship for them, that we would be a place where they come face to face with Jesus. They would be a play, this would be a place where they can serve and love and worship with others. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. And we pray that as we continue to get to know them, as they continue to get to know us, that those relationships would bring you glory, would help all of us see your grace and your love more clearly. We thank you so much in Jesus name. Amen. Let's give these folks a hand. Well, again, thanks for being here this morning. Um, We are continuing our series in Jesus's sermon on the Mount. We started at uh, the end of October, beginning of November, and we have walked pretty methodically through this probably most famous teaching of Jesus, the teaching that he gave right at the beginning of his ministry. And you'll remember that, uh, and Matthew tells us in chapter four, that when Jesus 
began his public ministry, he began with an invitation to repent and to, to receive the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the way of life that God desires for his people is here now. It's not something that they had to wait for in the future, but it was something that they could know and that they could experience now. And as we come to chapter 7 here of Matthew's gospel, we come to the close of Jesus' sermon. And so let's read our passage here this morning, Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking at just two verses this morning, verses 13 and 14. And if you're using the Blue Bibles around you, uh, you can find that on page 474. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, please take that Bible as our gift to you this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Hear the words of Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus has taught up to this point, what we've heard, what we've read, what we've listened to up to this point is a very countercultural way of life. Jesus has, has brought a way of life here that for so many of his audience uh, ran counter to what they had been taught about how to live life, how to see the world, how to interact with other people. Jesus has reinterpreted scripture for his listeners. He has said, you have heard it was taught, you have read, but I say to you, this is what God really means. This is what God really intends. And what Jesus has done in this sermon for for his audience, certainly here in this time, and for us as we've walked through this on Sunday morning, is flipped our perspective of safety and security, of money, of relationships, prayer, fasting, the list goes on and on, flipped those things on its head and made us see them in a different way and in a different life, light. Jesus has taught that the kingdom reality of the future, that the Jewish people who were listening to him as he preached this would have anticipated, would have looked forward to that one day God will come to this earth and will establish a kingdom and no longer would God's people be ruled and reigned by other uh, kingdoms and other kings that didn't respect God, that didn't respect their ways and their culture. Jesus says that that kingdom reality of the future is not something that they had to wait for, that it's something that they could start living in now. But like any good teacher, Jesus isn't satisfied with just passing on this information, with just saying this is true. This is what you should believe. This is what you should consider. The truths of this teaching have to connect with its hearers. Has to connect with its hearers. They and us have something to do because of what we have heard. 
We have something to do because of what we have heard from Jesus. And from this passage through the end of Jesus' sermon, he gives a series of two choices. And he uses a, a series of metaphors to lay out these two choices. What we're going to look at today, he talks about two different ways. He will follow up that by a metaphor of using two different trees. Uh, we, we skipped around a little bit and Tony preached to us a few weeks ago about two different claims that people make. And Jesus will finish up by talking about two different builders that build two different houses. Maybe some of you in this room are uh, old enough uh, to connect with this. Do you remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books? Have you heard of that? Anybody read those? Uh, very popular in the 80s, early 90s when I was growing up as a kid. Um, and it was these series of books that were written in the second person. And so it was the second person uh, narrative of this adventure that uh, was, you know, you could be a, this person was a spy, uh, race car driver, investigator, uh, a mountain climber, like all of these different uh, adventurous occupations and situations that you as the reader were put into in this book. But after a few pages of reading this book, you would be presented with a series of choices that you could choose two options at that point. You could choose to do this or you could choose to do that. And depending on which one you chose, the, the author would tell you, okay, if you choose this one, you got to go to this page and, and continue on. And you'd read a few pages there and then you were presented with another choice. And if you chose one or the other, it would depend on, on where you would choose. You would go to this page. And this is how you would read this book and you would choose this adventure. And depending on your choices, you would wind up with several different different endings, different possibilities. Some of them were good. Some of them were not so good. Um, honestly, like some of them were, were really lame and really boring. Some of them were really exciting and exhilarating. Um, you could read all of these endings, you know, as you're reading this book, you could choose one and you could go to that end and you could go back and choose the other. And I would often do that. But I hated these books. I hated reading these books simply for the fact that I did not want to be the one that had to choose how this story would end up because I never got a clue on the front end of that first choice what the ending was going to be. And it seemed like after I made that first choice, after I got to that first ending, even going back and rereading all the other ones, just kind of lost it. And I was like, well, this was a waste of time. Jesus here presents two choices, but Jesus takes the guesswork out of the choice, right? Jesus takes the guesswork out of our choice because for Jesus, there is a clear choice. He says, you can know what ending you're choosing, and here's what it is. And for Jesus, the choice is clear. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. So let's, before we move on, let's, let's examine these two choices. 
these two gates that Jesus mentions. He talks about a narrow gate. He talks about a wide gate. This wide gate, Jesus says, is easy. He says the way is easy. And the, the, the word for way there in, in the original language is the word for a road. And it, or, or it has in mind this journey that you're set out upon. It's, it's maybe for, for our purposes here this morning, think of it in the context of this sermon of what Jesus has taught up to this point as a way, a journey of being. It's who you are. It's your life. It's, it's how you live. It's your belief, your attitudes, your actions, your speech. And Jesus said that there is a wide way of being that is easy, that many choose to go down, that is comfortable, that seems absent of hardship and trouble. But what does Jesus say awaits those who choose to go down this road? Destruction. It seems easy. It seems really good. It seems like this is the way we should go. But Jesus says, if you choose that way, know what your ending will be. Will be destruction. Contrast this with the narrow road. The narrow way. The gate is narrow. And Jesus says that this way is hard. This is a way of being. This is a journey that will be cramped that will be confined, that will be full of distress. Think about a way of being that feels claustrophobic, that, that the walls are closing in on us, that there is no, it seems like there are no places to turn. And this word is also used in Scripture and in Jesus' very sermon, and you'll remember this, this word is used for persecution. It's used for persecution. And Jesus says that few people will find this way. Many people will choose to go down the wide, the easy, the broad road. Few people will find this road that is narrow because it is hard, it is cramped, it is confined. And it, lead, and it has persecution attached to it. But what does Jesus say is the ending if you choose this way? Life. Life. Would you turn with me to Psalm chapter 1? Psalm chapter 1. you've spent much time in the Psalms, if you've read the Psalms, if you've prayed the Psalms, if you know anything about the Psalms, you will know that these are songs and, and poems and, and hymns that teach us about life. They teach us how to respond to life. They, they, they give voice to the things that, that we are feeling. And they're often raw, and they're often sometimes hard to read, and they're hard for us sometimes as good, you know, straight-laced Christian people to accept. 
But the Psalms teach us what life really is, teach us how we should view life, teach us how God wants us to respond to life, and they show us who God is and how he steps into life. And Psalm chapter 1 is kind of a, a summary statement of the Psalms, the wisdom of how to live this life, how to respond to this life, how to see God, how to know what this life is about is contained here in Psalm chapter 1. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Some of these same themes that Jesus has touched on in the Sermon on the Mount are present here, right? Because you remember how Jesus began his sermon. We see that same beginning here. Blessed is the man. This is the good life. This is the way of living that people really want. This is the key, quote unquote, to happiness, prosperity, an experience of this life that will bring us meaning and hope and satisfaction. Blessed and just as Jesus does in the passage that we read in Matthew 7, the psalmist here brings us two choices. He says, you want this kind of life. You want to be blessed. You want to experience happiness. You want to prosper. You want to succeed. You want to experience life at its fullest. Then you have a choice to make. He says the first choice is to walk, is to stand, or and to sit with the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. And you see this progression here from walking to standing to, to sitting. And it's a metaphor for life, right? It's, it's this wide and easy way that Jesus referred to in Matthew chapter 7. It's, it's doing what I want to do, the way I want to do it, when I want to do it. It's a way that is easy. It's a way that does not require us to do anything different than what we would naturally do. And it's a way that many, many people choose. But he says there's a second way here, and that is the way of delighting in the law of the Lord. Delighting in the law of the Lord. And this is a way of being where life is defined by God. What is good is defined by what God says is good. 
What is life-giving is defined by what God says is life-giving. Success and prosperity and fulfillment is defined and characterized and laid out as God lays it out. But just like Jesus in Matthew 7, this way is hard, this way is narrow, and this is a life that will lead to persecution. But look at the outcome here in Psalm 1. The way of being that says my reality is defined by who Jesus is, what Jesus says, and what Jesus says is good, is a life that will lead to fruitfulness, resiliency in the midst of of trouble and prosperity. That is life. It's a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that is is nourished, that is fed, that, that its leaves are green. There are signs of life here. And if we're honest, this is the life that everybody wants, right? This is the kind of life that everybody seeks after. It's it's that life that that offers the most promise and possibility and fulfillment. Remember back to the Beatitudes. This is the kind of life that Jesus said, blessed. It's the blessed life. It's a life where we are comforted when we are mourning. It's a life where we experience and know the the righteousness and justice of God. It's a life where we look for mercy and we find mercy. It's a life where we desire to see and to know God. And he says, here I am. Come see me. Come know me. It's a life where God rewards us with rewards that last and that are satisfying. But so many people choose the other way. So many people choose the other way. This is the promise of life. This is the promise of of everything that we could desire, everything that we were made for. And so many people choose the other way, Jesus says, because it's easier, because it looks so good. It's a life that overpromises and underdelivers. It overpromises and it underdelivers. It's a life where the opposite of those things that Jesus said are blessed and, and, and are happy are true. It's the absence of comfort in times of grief. It's a desire for justice and for things to be right left unsatisfied. It's a life where those who look for mercy and forgiveness won't find it. It's a life that only rewards in the moment things that won't last. And like the psalmist says here in chapter 1, it's like chaff blown away by the wind. And there's nothing left. That's a pretty bleak picture, right? That's the point. That's the point here. There are two ways of being. And Jesus and the psalmist are not being reductionistic. They are not being overly simplistic. 
What they are trying to do is let the reality of how we live our lives, the direction of our lives, to let that reality and the weight of that reality fall heavy on us. But here's my question to you this morning. Are the two ways of being that Jesus and the psalmist taught about being a Christian and not? Is it a choice between believing in Jesus and choosing to reject him? Many of us here this morning, if that were true, would be able to sit back and be like, I'm good. I mean, I've made that choice. I've chosen Jesus. I've chosen to believe in Jesus over other things, so I must be good, right? This is the way to life, and I've chosen it. Remember the context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The thing that Jesus continues to drive at over and over again. He says it in chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What kind of righteousness is that, Jesus? Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This whole sermon, Jesus is driving at a life that is different from the life the people who were listening to them viewed as the most righteous the most blessed by God. It was a life that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day lived, a, a life and a righteousness that was characterized by only outward activities, outward practices. It was an external righteousness. But remember, Jesus isn't inviting us into a life of simply, quote-unquote, spirituality. Like a life of inner spirituality, that my beliefs, who I am on the inside, is the most important thing in my life. Nor is Jesus calling us in this sermon to simply a life of quote-unquote religiosity. That the choices I make about my actions, the things that I do and that I don't do, those are the most important things about me. That's what God cares about the most. No. Jesus is calling us in this sermon to something bigger, something deeper. Life in the kingdom is a life of doing righteousness because we are righteousness. We are righteous. Life in the kingdom is a life of doing righteousness, of doing what Jesus did, of being like Jesus because we are righteous, because we have been with Jesus. And that's what the religious leaders of that day missed out. Who we are is how we live. How we live is who we are. There isn't one or the other. There isn't a choice that we make between the two. Jesus is inviting us as we read this sermon, 
as he calls us to come and enter the kingdom of heaven, he is inviting us into a life that is whole. A life that is whole. A life that God truly desires for us. A life of being transformed from the inside out. A life where who we are is what we do and what we do is who we are. And that is the narrow gate. That is the hard way. I know there is absolutely nobody in this room who woke up early yesterday morning to watch a wedding, right? Did some of you know that you're like, what wedding? Who got married? The royal wedding was yesterday, and uh, I was forced to watch it and to be a part of it. If you watched the wedding, the sermon was given by Episcopalian Bishop, Reverend Michael Curry. And I want to read a part of this sermon that he preached yesterday. He said, love is not selfish and self-centered. Love can be sacrificial and in doing and in so doing becomes redemptive. And that way of unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive love changes lives and it can change this world. If you don't believe me, just stop and imagine. Think and imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and families where love is the way. Imagine our neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine our governments and our nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce where this love is the way. Imagine this tired, old world where love is the way. When love is the way, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive, when love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and our shields down by the riverside and study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty of good room, plenty of good room for all of God's children. Because when love is the way, we actually treat each other like we are family. When love is the way, we know that God is the source of us all, and we are brothers and sisters, children of God. My brothers and sisters, that's a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, a new human family. Amen, right? I mean, this is what Jesus is getting at in this sermon. This is the kingdom. This is what the scriptures lay out that is our hope as followers of Jesus Christ. That this is the reality that we will spend eternity in. And what Jesus is trying to get us to see here is that that is not something we have to wait for. 
that we can begin to pursue this, experience this, that this can begin to be our lives in the here and now. That is the kingdom vision that Jesus is giving us where love is the way, but how easy, how comfortable, how inviting for so many people is this vision of the kingdom without the king. This vision of the kingdom that so many of us want, that we were made for, how easy and how comfortable and how inviting that vision is if you don't have to deal with the king. But how hard and how impossible is this vision without the king? This is an impossible vision. This is an impossible life apart from the king. We want a world like what Reverend Curry described here. We want a life like the psalmist described of prosperity, resiliency. This sounds good, but it is really, really hard. And that's why I believe that the contrast that Jesus is making here isn't as much between immoral behaviors you know, the world out there and the pietistic practices of us good Christians in here. I think it's more about the wide way that leads to destruction is a righteousness that is superficial. A righteousness that is only on the external. A righteousness that so many of us in here who have chosen to follow Jesus are tempted with every day, every week, every month, every year. That is the wide way. That is the easy way. Why? Because it's easily definable by what boxes we check off. It makes us feel good to know that we can live this kind of life on our own. That if we just try harder, if we just go to more things, if we just give our money here, if we just practice this, that, and the other, that that makes us good with God. And that's what God really wants. That we can achieve the kind of kingdom life that God lays out by gritting our teeth, using our talents, and committing ourselves. That's the way of the Pharisees. And they were seen as the most religious people, weren't they? As the most spiritual people. As the closest to God. And because of that, the most blessed people. But Jesus says, that's too easy. Anybody can do that. There's a narrow way. There's a hard way. There's a difficult way because the way of Jesus requires something deeper. The way of Jesus requires something deeper. It requires offering up our whole person to Jesus. Not just what other people see. Not just what makes us feel good. Not just what we can measure as being this is good and this is bad. It's all of who we are. It's life. It's a life of loving God and loving others with all of our being, 
with all of who we are. And it is cramped and it is narrow and it is confined because the way of Jesus pushes ourselves off the throne of our own kingdom. The way of Jesus pushes us off the throne of our own kingdom. We fight and we struggle to maintain control of our lives. We are seeking after, just like Adam and Eve did. The offer of life was there. They had the life that they really wanted, but they wanted more. They thought that they wanted more. They thought they were, that God was holding out on them. They thought there was more that they could do to get the life that they wanted. And the same is true for us. Jesus says, here is life. Here is what will make you happy. Here is what will give you security. Here is a life where you will be rewarded, not just with cotton candy that tastes good and then is gone, but with a reward that will last and will be satisfying. Here it is, but we fight against that because we can't control it. And even in our Christian lives, I want to do it on my own. I want to feel good about my ability to live for God. I don't want to ask other people for help. I don't want to ask God for help. I don't want to give up this thing for God. I don't want to give up my control to let God control. And even as we begin to give up that control, even as we begin to move forward, even as we begin to live into this life that God has offered us, this kingdom life, even as God's transformation of us actively takes place, it's still hard, isn't it? It's still difficult. Remember these words Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. The kind of righteousness that Jesus says we will get persecuted for is not the righteousness of the Pharisees. It's not just by doing religious things. The righteousness that we will get persecuted for, the righteousness that will bring us under attack is a deeper righteousness. It's a righteousness that is defined by God's kingdom, not by our own efforts to be religious. It's a righteousness that opens itself up to all of Jesus conforming all of me. That no part of my life is left under my control. That what I define as good is what God defines as good. What I define as bringing me real life and happiness is found in letting God control my life. And my ability to know God is not based on what boxes I check off. 
as Tony said a couple weeks ago, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's a righteousness that is defined by knowing Jesus, being with Jesus, doing what Jesus did, becoming like Jesus. I uh, am only 35 years old, and so I don't have a lot of earthly wisdom, spiritual wisdom for that matter. For those of you in this room who are a lot older than me, I'm sure you can attest to this. This is one thing that I'm beginning to learn, and I'm learning it the hard way, that easy things are rarely good, and good things are rarely easy. Easy things are rarely good, and good things are rarely easy. The reason that we celebrate this communion every single week is that we need a reminder. It's a symbol. This doesn't have special spiritual magical powers that you, that you eat the bread, you dip it in the juice, that it does something to you. It is a symbol, but we need symbols, right? Because the symbol reminds us of this, that as Jesus closes his sermon, he says to us this morning that you've heard this good life. You want this good life, but this good life is hard. It is hard. It's demanding. And at times it seems like it will require more than what we have to give. But the promise is it's worth it. It is is worth it. It's worth it. And as we take this communion meal together this morning, it symbolizes a declaration that we make to ourselves and to others that Jesus Christ has died, that Jesus Christ has risen. And because of that, even when the life and the way of Jesus requires more than we think we can give, we know that Jesus has gone before us. We know that Jesus has empowered us, and we know that Jesus will be with us as we travel along this narrow way of Jesus. Jesus Christ has died. Jesus Christ has risen. But that's not it, is it? Jesus Christ will come again. So that's our hope this morning, is that the life that we want now, the life that we are seeking after now, is hard, it is difficult, but one day we will experience it in full. One day this world will experience it in full. And that gives us the hope to move forward. That gives us the, the victory to see that what this way of Jesus demands is worth it. So I want to invite you this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, come and take this meal with that declaration. Remind yourself, remind each other that because Jesus Christ died, because he is risen, and because he will come again, the way of Jesus is worth it. If you need prayer this morning, Pastor Phil will be in the back. I will be here to pray with you. If this has brought some stuff up in your life that you want to talk about, we would love to sit down and talk with you. We are on the way of Jesus together, and we need each other. Let me pray.
God, I wish that this was an easier thing to say. (laughs) I wish that the invitation that you have laid out to us this morning to seek life, to seek happiness and fullness, I wish it was an easier road. I wish it was a wider road. I wish it was a more comfortable way of living. But Lord, I have the faith and I have the confidence and I have the assurance that you will not leave us and that you will not forsake us. That as hard as this way gets, as demanding as it is, to allow you to take us off the throne of our own lives, as much as that requires of us, you give more grace. And we thank you for that. And we take comfort in that. And I pray for each of us here this morning that your Holy Spirit would shine a light, your light, your gracious and gentle light into the areas of our lives that we're still holding on to, that we're still trying to do it on our own. And Lord, I pray that we would become a community of people that choose the way of Jesus, not once, but over and over again. And I pray for your power and I pray for your wisdom and I pray for your guidance in that. We love you, Lord. And we confess our inability to walk this way on our own. And so we ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.